0: Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message.
1: If you're not aware at Dwelling Place, we are very clear on what God has called us as followers of Jesus Christ in this community, to obey Him in. And the mission here at Dwelling Place is to gather people to Jesus Christ and lead them to biblical maturity for the multiplication of believers, leaders, and churches. Now, when we say the multiplication of leaders, one of the ways to understand leaders is leaders in the kingdom are laborers. There are no leaders in the kingdom that don't labor. It's like the Apostle Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Leaders are laborers. They put their hands to the plow on the work of the kingdom. Well, today we are having what is called Young Communicator Sunday because God's called us to multiply believers, leaders, and churches. What that means is multiplying what I do, Pastor Craig does, what you do in other people. And so instead of just hearing from myself or Pastor Craig today, we're going to have the wonderful honor of hearing from Henry Sarti, Tony Parsons, and what Christ and his work uh, is going to lead them to communicate to us today. It's going to be a wonderful time. I'll come uh, up at the end and, and conclude as well. But it's good for all of us to grow in learning to receive from other voices and to honor Christ and other vessels, amen? And I'm looking forward to it. And uh, if it was anything like the first gathering, it's going to be a wonderful time. So at this time, I'm going to ask Henry Sardi to come and begin to share what the Lord's put on his heart. Much love here for you, brother. Much love. Thank you. Good morning, everybody.
2: Um, I'm going to share my life verse with you all first. And I'm gonna share from how that's my, from that my testimony and how that impacted my life. Uh, first, I'm gonna give some a background before I read the verse. I'm reading Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. I'll go ahead and read it. I'm sorry, um, Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. I was, I will give, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and i will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful and to be careful to keep my laws um just a quick background ezekiel was a priest who was called by god to be a a, a prophet of, of the lord um and this before that in previous verses um it, ezekiel was talking to israel the people of israel which was they were all in different areas countries that you know they they all guys just you know, they each went their way, and and God allowed that to happen. But each of them, by their conduct and by their you know their actions, they they profaned the name of the Lord. So because of that, God made a promise to them, not for not for their you know not for their sake, but for the sake of God's name. He he told them that that promise right there that he would put a new spirit within them and a new heart, and that you know that he was gonna. Restore them physically and spiritually. Uh, physically by bringing them back to the to their homeland, to to their to their land, where they came out of, and spiritually by putting them in a new spirit within them, and that spirit was the spirit of God living with them to help them do do His will upon their life, and to help them understand what that will look like. So, yeah, that's my that's my verse. That's my life verse as one of them that means something to me and it means something to me because um, when I first started coming to the dwelling place I didn't I was saved and you know I, I remember in the previous church I was saved I raised my hand but there was nothing else after that. There was there was no discipleship, nothing that came after that. So I just I got bored. I, I didn't know what to do. There was no guidance, no leadership. So I, I chose you know, I chose to just back away completely and just stopped going. But when I started coming to Dwelling Place, I, you know, through growth phases, through, just through the sermon, um, I remember, I remember God clearing things up just as time went by, as time went by. I asked him, you know, when the first time I ran into this was one time I just literally opened the Bible and I didn't know what I was reading. I didn't know <laughs> I didn't know why did I open? I just opened my Bible and it landed there so I started reading. I'm like, I don't know where to start. So I try to just read my Bible like growth phases said, you know, like they recommended us and to learn from it, to spend time with the Lord. So I opened my Bible there and I remember asking God to to do that to me, to do that to my heart to to change my heart, to give me a new heart to put a, his spirit in me. So I would leave any anything that was holding me back to him, to him, for him to for him to like to deal with, not for me to deal with. But when I asked him that, I didn't know what I was asking. I was I asked him to change my heart, and I didn't know what that truly meant. Which you know that meant a lot. It meant that he was he literally started digging from, from my past, like not to rub it in my face, but areas that needed to be cleansed and areas that needed to be surrendered to him. And that was, you know, from anger to jealousy, from, to shame, to guilt. And he did those things and it was scary. It was painful at times. It was, it felt like a long time, but, and he's not done till this day. He's continued to transform my life and, and that will go on for probably the rest of my life because I'm not perfect. And and I will always fall short to the grace of God. And I just remember asking Him for that, and telling Him to to do His will upon my life, too, that I was His vessel, that He would equip me to do His work, and not my own desires, not my own, not my own will, you know. I was a very prideful person, so it was hard to let a lot of things go. And I just learned to be humble, like he asked me to, to humble myself down, to surrender areas of my life that I didn't want to let go. He used people. He used messages that, that the pastor shared. He used the LA mission trip. When we were there in the LA mission trip, he truly revealed to me what loving was, to, to what was love. How do I love another person that's not my family? or even in my family. At times, I didn't really like them. So <laughs> he showed me how to love people, truly love people by who they were, not by what I could get out of them. They, it was just a whole process of surrendering and, and doing his will and being obedient to his word. And also, I, there was a question that I, growing up, I would ask my mom. You know, I was like, what's the purpose of life? What's, what is it? Like, what are we here for? What it? Well, you know I just wanted to know but it was not, not really a clear answer but as I asked that to God I asked him to do that he showed me a purpose he gave me a purpose in life he showed me what his will upon my life was and I just I grabbed onto that regardless of what was happening and and just just hanged on to him that there was nothing that I could do by myself that only with him I could do anything, but not by myself. Um if I wanna read Romans eight eleven. Yeah. So Romans eight eleven uh it says and in the and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life. To your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you so that's just a reminder you know this verse to me is that ezekiel 36 26 and 27 and looking at Romans, of paul speaking to the romans just a reminder that the spirit of god lives within us that there is nothing that we can you know that we need to to be afraid of there's nothing that 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 the only thing holding us back most of the time is ourselves that God's spirit is with us, and there's nothing that can stand against that. There's, you know, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives within me, lives in you. Like, what What are we afraid of sometimes, you know? So I had to learn that, and and I asked that of him, and he did that. Um, Until this day, he's, he's still changing areas, and he's still revealing things to me that need to change or that I need to do or be obedient in, that you know, that by myself, I'm nothing, that it's, what's impossible for me, it's possible with him, you know, so that's just my, one of my life verses that I kind of grab onto and that I have a testimony of, so if you join me in prayer before I, just for closing, um, Father God, thank you for this day, thank you for the opportunity of sharing with your community, Thank you for dwelling place and its leaders and people and everybody that come here today, God. Thank you for your spirit, God, that, that you didn't have to do what you did, Lord, but you chose to give us that. You, you gave us that gift. And Father, that we will be obedient to his guidance, that we would surrender things in our lives that it seems like we can't live without. But it's just our own desires, God, and I pray we surrender every area. In our lives. Thank you for all that you're doing and that you'll continue to do. In your name we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Praise the Lord. You know what I love about what he said is when he opened to Ezekiel 36 and he read that, his response was right because he said, Do this to me. How often do we go to Scripture and we read it? See, Scripture is not like a novel that you go pick up at Barnes & Noble or buy and have shipped to you off Amazon. This is a book about a living God who has the ability to make come alive to you what you read in this book that He promises. When Henry saw that Scripture, he said, Do this to me. It made me think, what are things that we have read or we have known in Scripture but our response hasn't been that pure. Pure in the sense of a noble heart of saying, God, you're promising this? Then do this to me. Because God wants His will to be performed in your life and you experience it. Amen? Then he talked about some, he said, not just do this to me, then after God... Worked in his heart, God began to work in other areas of his life, and he said, Deal with this in me. Ain't that what God does for us? Then he starts dealing with wrong attitudes. He mentioned pride, and uh, I know in the first gathering he talked a little about anger and things. So say, God, do this to me, then God, deal with this in me, and then he spoke about. Direct me to your will, to do your will. That's what I got out of it. and What you see is you see the testimony of someone that's experienced transformation, biblical transformation, not just in theory a churchgoer, but who's actually experienced the, the God that this book is about in His power. And if you haven't, it's our hope today that you know you can. Amen? Amen. Well, next we have Tony Parsons who's going to come, and I'm so thankful to be a part of a community that uh, believes Acts 2, that in the last days God pours out His Spirit upon all flesh, and men and women shall prophesy. Prophesy means to utter God's truth under the anointing and by the work of God's Spirit. And um, if any need, I have a ten page plus paper I wrote when I was in Bible school on First Timothy 2. Uh, if you need that paper to correct your theology, uh, we'll help and serve you in that way uh, if you don't understand what First Timothy 2 actually means. But God has poured out His Spirit and has empowered women to communicate His truth as well. And I'm honored uh, to receive from Christ through my sister today and what God's put on her to share, and we thank God for his work in your life, Tony. Thank you. Well, good
0: morning. We're going to um, dive right into the book of Psalms. We're going to go to Psalm 139. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn there. And while you're turning there, I got to say that I have so loved this series, My Life First, because I think it's a really cool um, thing to think about. We all are reading the same book, we're reading scripture, and the fact that it's living and breathing and the Holy Spirit uses different um, truths to speak directly to each and every one of us specifically, and it really transforms and changes our lives. is just so beautiful to see. Um, And I love the book of Psalms because it's a record of responses from God's people um, in worship and prayer. And we see in Psalms um, a book that's deeply relational, and it teaches us how to relate to God in various um, circumstances in our life. We see people being very raw with their emotions, with their anger, with their hurt, with their pain, um, and they're just bringing it to the Lord. And I really, really love that. Um, I read recently that the book of Psalms um, was composed by an individual, and then it's used by the community. And I thought, that's exactly how our lives are. Christ is composing a story within each of us. um, And as we live that out and as we share that with others around us, it affects the community of believers around us. So my hope today as I share my life verse is that that will do the same for you, that you would be encouraged, you would be spurred on to good works. Um, And I want to encourage you all too to share your story. Um, You never know what just one piece of your story, sharing that with someone would do um, in their life. So, all right, let's read. Psalm 139, starting in verse one, it says, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up, you understand my thoughts from far away. I wanna pause here just a moment and just point out that David is first acknowledging the attributes of who God is, the fact that he is all-knowing. Um, so I feel like we should praise the Lord always for who he is, for his very nature, for his character, before we begin to praise him for what he's done for us and um, what he who just praise him for who he is. And I love that David does that before he goes into the rest of the passage. I think that's something that we can model after him. In so verse three, you observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. Notice in verse six that by fixing his mind on God, in the first verses one through five, he thinks about how vastly God is, but also how personal God is. And it moves him to a state of wonder and moves him to a state of awe as he's reflecting um, on who God is and putting himself in proper perspective of who God is. Verse seven, where can I escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I live at the Eastern horizon or settle at the Western limits, even there, your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. I love that too, because David has now gone from thinking about who God is, acknowledging and reflecting on his goodness of the fact that he knows him intimately and he also is the vast creator of the universe. And then he's gone to a state of wonder and now he's going to a question and he's saying, Lord, where can I flee from your spirit? Where can I escape from you? And we see that truth is paralleled um, in the story of Jonah. In Jonah 2, 1 through 2, we see Jonah say, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you hear my voice. And so we serve a God um, that we can't flee from. Verse 11 If I say, Surely the darkness will hide me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day, darkness and light are alike to you. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. God, how precious your thoughts are to me, how vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I am still with you. God, if only you would kill the wicked, you bloodthirsty men, Stay away from me, who invoke you deceitfully. Your enemies swear by you falsely. Lord, I don't hate those who hate you and detest those who rebel against you. I hate them with an extreme hatred. I consider them my enemies. See how David is bringing his anger and his angst to the Lord's feet. Then he moves on in verse 23 and says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. And so what I want to do in these next few moments is just take a second um, and really highlight a few things that the Lord has kind of taught me in this passage about his very nature and his character. Um, I think this is a beautiful, beautiful depiction of three different aspects of who God is. So the first one, in verses one through six, um, David speaks to God's omniscience, the fact that he is all-knowing. There was never and never will be a moment where we are unknown by God. We are the crown of his creation. He knows us intimately, and I mean, he really, really, really knows us. Just look back at that verse. He says, you know when I sit down and when I stand up. So he knows our movements. You understand my thoughts from far away. He knows what we're thinking. You observe my travels and my rest. He knows about our business. He knows when we're resting, when we're going. He knows our motives. He knows everything. In verse 13, it says, I've knitted you together. And I don't know, how many of you guys have knitted before? Anybody? I'm not very good at it, but it is a very, very meticulous craft. And when you're knitting, you have to be very intentional. You have to be paying very attention to detail. And it's a beautiful picture in this psalm that that's how God was when he was creating us. Every single aspect of who we are was not a mistake. There is not one part of us is a mistake. Every part of us was intentionally made by the Lord, by the Father, and so when he created us, he was intentional with every aspect of who we are, even the parts that we dislike or we view as flawed. Jesus speaks to this in John ten fourteen through 16. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for my sheep. He knows every single part of us. So Psalm 139 speaks first to God's omniscience, and then in verse 7 begins to speak to God's omnipresence. As a sinner, we see in this passage that David has sought to flee from God's presence. And isn't this our human tendency? We sin, we mess up, we fall short, and we seek to hide in shame away from the Lord. We see this in the garden with Adam and Eve. They sin and they try to hide from the Father in shame. Even after we come to the Lord, even after we come to know Christ as our Savior, we run and we try to cover ourselves in shame when we mess up, but that is not the way the Father desires for us to live. He desires to live in intimacy with us because he knows us and he longs for us to be in his presence. He's a loving God who through the gift of his son has made us righteous, so now we can come boldly to his throne even when we mess up, even when we fail, even when we have shortcomings. That does not change our position in front of Christ of who he is the fact that we are his son and we are his daughter. And so in first, we see his omniscience. Second, we see his omnipresence. And lastly, we see his omnipotence, his power. Verse 11, David says, Surely the darkness will hide me. Surely the darkness will hide me. It's dark. And the light around me will be night. Even the darkness, though, is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. It's only the power of God that can penetrate the deepest darkest part of our hearts. Only the power of God has the ability to turn a heart of stone into a heart of love that loves others. It's only the power of God that has the ability to transform a life and form it into his image among the darkness in this world. You know, I look at my life and I look at who I was before knowing Christ. And it is a miracle who the Lord has turned me into being. To an image of his son, I look at my brother, who I see every day, and I remember how he was so hardened to people, and now he is like a big mushball. ball. Um, and it's Christ loving others through him, and it's only by the power of the Lord um, that that has that transformation has taken place. Um, Donald Donald Miller in a book called Scary Close. Um, urges readers to drop the act of who they are portraying themselves to be in order to find true intimacy with others. And in this book, it's really, really interesting. Um, it's a really great book that spoke a lot to me in that certain season of life. Um, he shares his journey of kind of discovering who God authentically created him to be. And he shares about how he learned the importance of living out within community that true self of who he was. And he gave this illustration, and I'll never, ever forget it because it hit me so hard. Um, He said, we are each born as our true selves. So within this circle is our self. So we begin living out who God specifically intended us to be. Then somewhere along the way, whether it be a traumatic event, whether it be standards that parents place on us, whether it be a mold that culture wants to put us and box us in, we feel shame for who we really are. So he said that he draws this other circle around who our true self is, and this is shame. And so then what we do is we begin to cover that shame. We spend so much energy, all of our time, trying to portray someone who we're not in order to cover that shame and meet the expectations of the culture all around us. And that becomes our personality. And we'll call that circle C. And so this um, book of Psalms, Psalm 139, is so important to me um, and is my life verse because on September 6, 2013, after spending five years away from the Lord, um, I was at an all-night prayer gathering, which, plug, we've got one coming up in January. You don't want to miss it. It is transformative. Um... I was in prayer and the Lord broke through, broke through all of that shame. He broke through all of that cover that I was trying to hide. Um, And he showed me who I really was in him. And this thought really hit me is that he knew the sin that I was living in, but yet he still loved me the same. He knew about my substance abuse. He knew about my depression. He knew everything about me, but yet he had never left me. I didn't understand the omniscience of the Father. I didn't understand that it was okay to bring the dark parts of me to his throne. I didn't understand that he had never left me. I didn't understand that all I needed to do was come running back into the arms of the Father. But on that night, September 6th, I encountered the omnipotence of the Father to reveal to me in my most desperate state, who I was in him, and that his love for me was more than I could ever imagined. And I realized in that moment that he sees sin for what it is, but yet he still loves us regardless. And I felt like David in this Psalm. I felt like him in Psalms 139, verse six. He said, this wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is too lofty. I'm unable to reach it. And it moved me into a response of saying, Lord, if you have that much love for me, here I am, use me, Lord. I praise you with everything that I am. And I remember the freedom that came after that. I remember um, my sister, she's not a musician, but she was taking a piano class at the time. And she knew a couple of chords of this one song called You Know Me by Stephanie Gretzinger. And we just, in our just like awestruck state, would just lay flat on the floor and just thank God and praise him in his presence for who he is and who he created created us to be. And we just thanked him night after night. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you know me. Thank you that you know the inner working part of me. Thank you that you still have a plan for me. Because that's what I thought. I thought that I messed up too much. I thought that I had dug myself too deep in a hole that, Lord, you don't want to be around my mess. You don't want to handle me. And you know, yeah, I know a lot of you sitting here have felt that way before you came to Christ. But I know a lot of you sitting here sometimes feel like that now. You feel like, yes, I'm a Christian and I'm supposed to be serving the Lord, but I mess up. And so you wait weeks. You months before you can enter the presence of the Lord, but that is not his will for your life. His will is that you can come to him with your mess. You can come to him when you mess up, even as a Christian and sit before his throne because he's made you righteous as a son and a daughter of him. And so I want to leave us with this charge today. Some of you The first category of people in this room, you have experienced this love and understanding, but sometimes like me, you forget about it. You forget that the Lord doesn't require you to be perfect. You forget that all he wants is for you to be completely who you are and come into his presence and rest. You don't have to be perfect. Some of you, number two, may just need to be awakened to God's presence in your life and what he's desiring to do in your current context. Maybe he's desiring to use you to reach someone at work that you've been feeling a prompting to, but you're a little timid. Well, his spirit wants to give you and empower you to do that. Some of you may have a dream that's deep inside of your heart that you're like, I don't know if it's me or if it's the spirit. Well, the Lord wants to awaken you to that. There's a lot of things that the Lord wants us to be awakened to in our lives because he is omnipresent. He is always with us. We can't flee from his spirit. We can't flee from his presence. And number three, maybe there's areas in your life where you need to come out of hiding. You need to come out and lay it before the Lord. Certain areas of your life where you need to be upfront and honest, and you need to model like David in this scripture, and maybe you're anxious about something. Maybe you're angry. Maybe you're mad at something that you thought the Lord was supposed to come through a certain way, and he didn't, and you're upset about it. Well, the Lord invites you into his presence still. He wants you to come into his presence Exactly how you are, exactly with your emotions. He created our emotions. He wants us to come into his presence so he can bring that out of hiding and reveal that to us. So as in closing, let's go ahead and close our eyes and pray. Father, I thank you so much. I thank you for who you are, Lord. I thank you that you're creator, God. You created each and every one of us in this room with a distinct plan, with a distinct purpose. And Father, I pray in these moments that you would, um, Holy Spirit, just highlight areas in our life that we need to bring before Your throne. Areas in our life that we've been in hiding from. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would um, expose, Lord, all those areas in our hearts that we've been hiding in shame. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak truth in those areas. And I pray, Lord, that you would awaken us to what your spirit desires for our lives. Lord, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name,
1: amen. Oh, praise the Lord. It's so true. You know, the, one of the main key differences between a maturing or mature believer and a young or immature believer, it's not that mature believers are not any longer experiencing transformation. It's not that mature believers are no longer having God reveal more of a, who Jesus is, and calling us to be conformed in our soul more to Him. It's that mature believers and maturing believers are skilled in righteousness and come quicker to the Father (laughs) with their issues and their brokenness and their mess. They allow righteousness to empower them to come to the Father to deal with it instead of allowing the lies of shame or religion, keep them from coming to the Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, I think about what Tony said, and it, it makes me ask myself and ask us, what do we maybe need to awake to today? Some people need to awake that God actually wants you to encounter Him, that He He doesn't want to remain this distant way up in the sky of Father, that he, you can actually become awakened to the reality of His presence through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In fact, there are millions and millions of church attendees in our country who need to be awakened to that fact, who have never encountered the reality of the nearness of God through the presence of the Holy Spirit can be awakened to that, or awakened to purpose. What about being awakened to what she said of who God is? Not who Chad thinks He is, but who He actually is. That He's the perfect Father. He's the faithful one. He's actually the one we can come to and take off the scary clothes and find acceptance, and find healing, and find deliverance, and find victory. You know, maybe it moves you today to question, who are you to be, not in yourself, but who are you to be in Him? It's one thing to know who we are in ourselves, but it's a whole other thing to be moved to know who you are in Christ. Listen, if if I had to minister weekly or stand before you to, and seek to serve you based on who I am, well, this this ship would sink quickly. It's knowing who we are in Him. And I love that she said, learning to live it out in community. <laughs> Listen, it's one thing to think we're godly just being alone by ourselves. It's a whole other thing to still be able to be godly living it out around other people. Amen. I'm glad we're not called to just an island of isolation, but we're called to a body of believers. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to share just a brief exhortation with you, something that I have personally been meditating and and thinking through, and I, I believe that there it's going to also encourage and speak to some people here today, if not everyone, but, you know, I think about the stages of a person. Uh, as, as a man, I, I think often about how to reach more men. Uh, statistically in America, uh, females attend communities of believers more than males. Now, in our church, it's not necessarily the case. If you look around, we're, we're pretty close to being even. We praise God for that. But as a as a man, yes I want to see the gospel reach everybody, of course, but I also specifically think how can the gospel reach more men? I mean, I watched last night, I'm not the you, you, those who know me, the biggest football fan, but I'm trying to go to bed and I catch the end of the LSU and Texas A&M game. Well, if you catch the end, you're in trouble because you're going to lose sleep because it went into 7 overtimes. But I'm sitting there watching, supposedly, the greatest 12th man of the game, which is the fan base of Texas A&M. And I'm watching from young to old, male to female, with all of their energy and all of their vocal powers, express their excitement from what they're watching on the field. And yet you hear of men not being excited of the kingdom or thinking that we're called to quietly, reverently praise the Lord and serve God. No way. No way. We're called to be adventurous men. David was a man's man. He killed a bear. He killed a lion. He killed Goliath. And he danced before the Lord with all his might. So that ain't how God's wired us. We're loud for football and quiet as a mouse in here. That's coming out of some of the shame and some of the labels and some of the wrong clothes trying try to put upon us. But not just stages in a man's life, but stages for all of us. I want to read of a man, but who also speaks of these stages. In Acts chapter 20, there was a man named Paul. And he's nearing the end of his journey. He's nearing the end of his course in his life. In Acts 20... And verse 17 says, From Maltus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia, watch this, in what manner I always lived among you. It's interesting. Verse 19, Serving the Lord with all humility and with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you, and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me. Wow. Wow nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. Now listen, it's one thing for us to finish the good works that God's called us to in Christ Jesus. It's one thing for us to serve the Lord faithfully, being fruitful in the good works that He has for us in Christ Jesus. It's another thing to finish the good works and to finish them with joy. He says, with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel, the grace of God. And indeed now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. He knows he's going to give up his life for the kingdom of God and serving Jesus Christ. Verse 26, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Verse 33, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Some of you thought just a preacher made that up. (laughs) No, Jesus said that. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely. I love that. My God, if we could get men and women and young and old to be free in the Lord enough to know they can weep freely. That they can let their emotions and the stage of life and what they're going through be free, and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for, for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. You know, I see here are stages of a man. It's interesting because he tells the Ephesus elders in verse 18, he says, you know what manner I always lived among you. But you know, he didn't start there. He didn't start there because before Paul was called Paul, he was known as Saul. He was known as Saul. And before he was filled with the breath of God, and before he was empowered and appointed for the ministry and the work God had for him, he was seeking, like every one of us find ourselves at times, seeking to acquire things in this life. He was seeking to acquire an identity. He was seek, seeking to acquire a position. He was seeking to acquire fame and nobility, reputation. He was seeking to acquire a job and a status, and yet he made it out of that stage. It's my hope that every one of us here would make it out of that stage. See, I believe you find these stages of a human's life, you find this, even in the beginning. In Genesis, now Genesis is a literal book talking about a literal creation. Amen. And uh, that, that child smells the soup and is ready. Uh, but Genesis is about a literal creation. It's about literal people. And yet it's filled with so many spiritual truths of death symbolized in the literal account that Moses gives. For instance, did you know that the First three children are sons of Adam and Eve, the first uh, people that God created, the first humans, that each of their names can represent for us today, these stages of life, stages that humans deal with. See, Cain was the first son of Adam and Eve, and the word Cain in Hebrew means acquire, means acquire. Abel was the second son of Adam and Eve, and Abel's name in Hebrew means breath. And then Seth was the third son of Adam and Eve, and the name of Seth means appointed. Notice that. Acquire, breath, and appointed. Acquire, breath, and appointed. You see this so much throughout Scripture. Jesus said that all humans are seeking to acquire possessions. But he says that actually our life, our breath, does not consist in the things that we possess or how much money we have in the bank account or in the status or the title or the job we acquire. He says that our life is like a vapor through the Apostle James and that we are going to die, and it's appointed for us to die once, and then face judgment. See, Saul, when he was Saul, before he was known as Paul, before the end of his journey and his race, that we read about in Acts 20, Saul depended on his pedigree. He was a Jewish boy, and he wanted to reach the ranks of the elite in the Jewish religion. He was able to be discipled by one of the greatest rabbis of his day. He was seeking to reach a place, an ambitious place, a certain status, with certain authority, with certain rewards and certain benefits and certain significance. And yet we find him still in need. Is that not the case when you look around or when you look at times of your life that some of you, you get done with college or some of you still, though you're done with college or still in this season of life, where your main pursuit is to acquire? You're looking to acquire identity by the things that you possess or the place that you reach in your career. You're seeking to acquire feeling accepted, feeling loved, feeling approved, feeling valued by earning straight A's, by what you achieve. But what happens is, is you can acquire the things that you're after and if you acquire them, you'll still find out this truth that you'll still find you have a need. And the need is represented in the second son in Adam and Eve. It's represented in Abel, who means breath. That the greatest need we have is not to acquire things in this life. The greatest need we have is for the breath of God to fill our life. Like Henry said, that Ezekiel 36, that... We, though we have a heart and though we have desires and though we have ambitions and though we have a spirit, we find something is needed. We need God to give us a new heart. We need God to give us new breath. We need God to give us a new life. We need God to give us a new spirit. We need God to give us also His Holy Spirit. We're in need for breath. How many people do finally acquire what it is they think they need, and they find out the more they've acquired, it actually extinguishes more of their breath in life. It leads to more stress, and it leads to more heartache, and more worry, and more cares. I think about that it's not just men who seek to acquire, but you know there's females who seek to acquire that husband or one day acquire children. and We all have our different tendencies of what it is we're seeking to acquire, but we got to see that through Genesis, the story of the beginning, there's this symbolism, and see from the life of Saul that acquiring the things we think is not going to bring the ultimate sense of fulfillment. That what we really need is the breath of God's Holy Spirit in our life. We need the breath of God. We need the breath of God. You know, if we were fortunate enough and had the ability to all gather up up in a big old bus or multiple buses and we went down to a nursing home here, I've always enjoyed the opportunities God has provided at times to be around older men and women. To listen to the perspective and you see the reality of this that many of them have spent their whole life just in that first stage of a human, seeking to acquire. Acquire 401K. Acquire a certain place in their career. Acquire the dream home. Acquire, acquire, acquire. And they've done it, but now at the end of their life, they're getting a bigger perspective that actually what is more important than all the things that they had sought or possessed is the fact that they have breath, that they're still alive. You begin to find that they become just as thankful for life as they do the things that they have received and the life that they were given. Coming out of Thanksgiving, I would pray that the Holy Spirit would spark and move us to not just be thankful for the things that we have, but get back to the simplicity that of just being thankful for life, for breath, for the opportunity to still encounter and walk with God today. For today is the day of salvation for breath. But then there's also the third stage appointed. Appointed. Fortunately, some people never really reach this place of perspective of being appointed. Some unbelievers reach the perspective of moving past just seeking to acquire things and later in life realize that the greatest gift is having breath. It's life itself because it's in life itself that we are to find God who gives us that life. But there are people that move past that stage and they get to the stage of what today we're saying Seth represents by his name, by it meaning appointed that you're appointed for a specific purpose in the kingdom of God. That as long as you still have breath, and you understand the value of life and the breath you have, that that breath is to exhale the purpose of God and the good works that He's appointed for you. That you're an appointed person. You're appointed, listen, not just to come and sit. You're appointed to go and be witnesses. You're appointed not just for failure. You're appointed when you have the breath of God and the empowerment of God's Spirit, as Tony mentioned, you're appointed to fruitfulness. Paul sets before us this high calling. He's a man that's endured suffering, shipwrecks, being stoned, being beaten, fastings often. He's endured so much and yet he still has breath. Why? Because he has the breath of God's Spirit empowering him. And those circumstances and trials could not extinguish it and that's why you see him at the end of his life. And what is his main thing that's being breathed out of his breath of life that remains? It's the fact that I have been appointed by the King, Jesus Christ, to a race, to an assignment, to a ministry, to a calling to extend the kingdom of God. And he says, nothing else moves me but what I'm appointed for. Wow. Wow. Does that not set before us today the high calling of what the breath of God can do in you and I? The high calling of what the breath and the empowerment of God's Spirit can do through this community? See, I'm I'm not just amazed at how much I can mess things up. I'm amazed that God still has such a high calling upon our life. Wow. 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 You know, we go into Christmas and those that are parents and understand deeply the, the pressures of this world, these these shame, these labels, these clothes that try to come on us even as God's people. Of How many people will help stores get in the black by you going into the red? What sense does that make? It doesn't make sense to it, but you know what drives that? We actually think as parents that the more we give our kids and the gifts we get, that that's going to give them actual breath. Listen, that's not going to give them actual fulfillment. That's not going to give them an actual sense of purpose and appointed. And so we do it trying to keep up with the world And yet, it's not the difference maker. Because I know people here that grew up with very little. And I know someone here that my mom would do anything to get me everything I wanted. But ultimately, those two things don't make the ultimate difference. What makes the ultimate difference is the breath and the empowerment of God's Spirit. That as we go into Christmas, I want to exhort us of these stages of a person and let's not get stuck in the acquiring and let's not get our children just thinking that life in the stages of life is all about acquiring more. Let's look at the one who shows us these stages today, Paul, who at the end of his life says, Remember the words of Jesus. It's more blessed to give than to acquire. Because listen, when we give, we're sharing the breath of God. Because God is a giver. And you know what God gave? He didn't give silver and gold. He didn't give more apparel. Listen, He gave Himself. He gave breath through the life of His Son, Jesus Christ.